Hello everyone. My name is Lavanya and you're listening to episode 2 of Not Just a Man's World. This is a special women's podcast brought to you by Sportstar, India's oldest sports magazine. I'm going to apologize in advance now if you hear my dog snoring or the birds chirping at the back or anything randomly actually that could come out from my house. Uh because yes, like most of the world finds itself right now, I am recording this from home as well. This has been an extraordinarily crazy month. Um a month ago when I sat down to record episode 1, COVID-19 as we now know this novel coronavirus was this mystery virus ripping through the Chinese city of Wuhan. But now as it stands around 2.8 million people have been infected worldwide while 200,000 people have died. Now before getting into any of the things we're going to be talking about, I request everyone listening to this episode from the bottom of my heart to please stay indoors and adopt all of the precautionary measures that are being advised to you. Stay clean, stay safe, wash your hands, wear masks if you deem it necessary or if you live or operate in a high risk space. But most importantly, if you can, please just stay at home. Staying home is also what sports people worldwide are doing not because they want to of course but because lockdown and isolation measures worldwide have seeped into sport as well there have been large scale postponements and cancellations of sporting engagements in the 2020 calendar you know what makes me really mad about all of this if you like me have been attempting successfully or unsuccessfully to follow women's sport over the past year you will know that this was going to be our year you know what i mean right I mean after the success of the FIFA Women's World Cup, uh the IWL, the several of the women's cricket games, the T20 World Cup as recently as last month, the exploits of Ashley Barty, Sofia Kenin, the Athletics World Championship with Dina Ashmith, all of this made the chess women world over swell with pride. And I don't think I'm wrong to have expected that momentum to extend into 2020. Guys, I even got a planner. scribbling in little things that i was looking forward to events tournaments performances uh big ticket tournaments like the olympics scheduled for this year but we now find ourselves in a very very different world a world that's on hold and this pause button applies as much to women as it does to the boys and it may just prove a little more detrimental to women in sport Now in this episode we'll take a quick look at the biggest covid-19 developments in women's sport so basically what's moved around what one can expect looking ahead in the year and the kind of impact it has on the sport and its players and we also have a guest joining us and our guest today is someone i'm so excited to have gotten to know uh, in the process of recording this show but more on her a little later as well for now let's dive into the news So I think the biggest COVID-19 triggered sporting development has to be the postponement of the 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo. The International Olympic Committee for a very long time claimed that it could still manage to host the games and manage to keep athletes safe, but a very sober Japanese president Shinzo Abe and eventually the IOC conceded that postponement was probably the only way forward seeing how serious this pandemic was getting world over. So now the games have been pushed to 2021. We have new dates as well, 23rd July to 8th August. It's just a matter of another year, right? So why does it matter, you ask? Now a four-year period is a lot for an athlete to work through and obviously prepare towards. So a slight change in the schedule throws a lot of things off track. For quite a few big names, irrespective of gender actually, uh, Tokyo 2020 was to be their swan song. be it Simon Biles, Alison Felix, uh Kerry Walsh Jennings or even Roger Federer for that matter. Uh the Olympic schedule for this summer was in all likelihood their last. So a year's delay draws attention to the fact that it is one more year of maintaining this fitness level, remaining injury free and of course battling a very very natural aging process. Now just look at some of the names I just listed before. Alison Felix, who was last seen wrapping that USA flag around herself after her team won the mixed gender 4 into 400 meter relay at the World Championships last year, she turns 35 this year and has explicitly spoken about her desire to retire on a high. Now she surpassed Usain Bolt's World Championships medal haul when she won her 12th gold medal last September. 
Remember, this was her first medal after the birth of her daughter Cameron, and that delivery was by no means smooth. She came back after having had a C-section, and she also dealt with preeclampsia. Please read about these conditions. They're horrifying conditions. They're pregnancy conditions that are potentially dangerous for mother and child. So what she did is path-breaking for mothers all over the world. On the other hand, we have Kerry Walsh Jennings, who is 41, and while some worry about the extra years effect on their performance because they get a year older in fact even jwala gatta had spoken about the same thing when we caught up with her earlier this week about the fact that athletes are getting a year older so that does become a concern with the postponement kerry walsh jennings has said more times than one that she's confident and at peace with the new timeline the other side of this debate is that mature athletes do know their bodies better they know their pace is better and in some cases adaptability may also be better so this might just work in her advantage now kerry is a three time olympic gold medalist but she is yet to qualify for the tokyo games along with her partner brooke sweat and this pause in activity only makes things a little more uncertain because there are several other teams as well that are pitching to represent usa in beach volleyball Uh now we have to remember that um basically this is how things go okay she stands in second place among other US teams to seal her spot in Tokyo in terms of points now how this ranking system works is that the top 12 finishes like in tournaments from the entire ranking period which is September 1 2018 to June 14 2020 all of this is considered these top 12 performances that you've managed to put up these top 12 are considered now all of the teams in the run to seal that berth for USA have managed to finish this 12 tournament minimum so 2020 was going to be the year where they work on bettering those lower performances which means at the end of the ranking system ideally all of these teams want to end with their best top 12 scores so that their averages and totals and all reflect better now with this pause that stands in limbo and what adds to that uncertainty also is that the international volleyball federation has not announced what changes will be made now that the games have been postponed so whether there'll be a reduced schedule or like more time for a full schedule one doesn't know anything yet kerry in fact uh, gave cbs an interview after the announcement of the postponement came up where she said and i quote my heart for the past 3 plus years has been so focused on august 7 2020 the gold medal match and what it's going to take to get there as tournaments started falling off our schedule my eyes became wide open to the seriousness of the pandemic my bet is that if you're made of what olympians are made of and if you're made of championship qualities then your operating mode is optimism this deserves to go on a wall if anything kerry is all set to become the oldest beach volleyball player to compete in the olympics if she makes it to tokyo next year so for her sake let's hope we hear from the fibb soon so now from volleyball to gymnastics now american gymnast simon biles is just 23 years old but she has 30 medals this is olympics and world championships included to her name making her the third most decorated gymnast in the history of the discipline and the number she has to beat is around 33 if i'm not wrong so tokyo would have been like the ideal place for her to get there and also bid farewell to the sport which is something she's discussed several times with the media uh any season gymnast will also tell you that wish she with her you know bodily problems her injury concerns is nearing that time to say goodbye Now the thing with Tokyo 2020 is that America has got really good bench strength when it comes to gymnastics so if she is not on the team then they don't really stand to struggle too much but as Devora Mayers from the Guardian puts it in one of her pieces America will certainly have to do with much slimmer margins of victory than they're used to if Simone's not part of that team and we also know for a fact that she's had her struggles with USA gymnastics especially with the whole Larry Nassar case and she's been very vocal in uh, calling them out for not handling this properly so honestly one doesn't see her sticking on for too long especially trying to put up with a federation she clearly is unhappy with all right olympics aside let's move to cricket the t20 world cup in australia is lucky to have finished just around the time this virus began to blow up through china Let's remember we were celebrating a crowd of 86,000 watching that final between India and Australia and that was sort of the culmination of really good momentum that women's cricket has enjoyed generally particularly in Australia but generally all over the world. 
Now, this pandemic and the uncertainty that it's brought to the calendar threatens to undo all of that good work. The ICC, of course, has postponed all events up till the end of June. The IPL has been suspended indefinitely. So obviously, the women's T20 challenge that comes with it has also indefinitely been moved. There is, of course, this big question on uh, international tours and more importantly, the men's T20 World Cup later in the year. However, we do have a sliver of good news, if I can call it so. The Indian women's team, along with New Zealand, Australia, England and South Africa, have directly qualified for the 50-over World Cup next year. Now, this will be played from February 6th to March 7th, 2021. The Indian team, of course, reached the final in the 2017 edition. And as it stands right now, they have 23 points in the ongoing cycle of the ICC Women's Championship. They've won 10 games and lost 8 out of the 21 that they've played during this qualification period. Now, we know that New Zealand has responded really well to the pandemic in general, and we expect that to extend even with its sporting engagements, especially cricket. Um, the possibility of a postponement of the 2021 World Cup, though, is definitely there. Because of the disruptions made to the calendar this year, the ODI World Cup faces the risk of having to move to accommodate other fixtures. I'm sure New Zealand, as the host, is not going to be happy about this, but it's not something that they haven't discussed as well. Do remember now, cricket still has a pertinent, if not raging, debate going on about equal pay. On the whole, women cricketers are definitely paid less than their male counterparts. And with the pay cuts and fewer tournaments and the fear of sponsorship money in jeopardy, um, it, there's sort of the fear of this chugging train sort of screeching to a halt. For a while, at least. So a few days ago, Cricket Australia furloughed staff and smaller cricketing nations like Argentina are facing cancelled engagements um, and a resultant loss in revenue. Now, this in particular is something that we're going to be looking at more in detail in our next episode. Next up, football. Now, we began the month in March with heartening stories of footballers pitching in. But the news only went from bad to worse as far as football, the sport itself goes. Two major women's events have now been postponed. The FIFA Under-17 World Cup, which India was getting really excited to host. And of course, the women's Euros next year. Uh, India was all set to host the Under-17 World Cup in November. But FIFA has postponed this tournament indefinitely, with the world still having no answer to the COVID-19 virus. AIFF President Praful Patel said that talks are on with FIFA about retaining the age criteria so that players who have prepared for so long and so hard don't miss the opportunity of representing their respective countries. Coming to European football though, the women's Euro that was due to happen in 2021 has now been pushed by a year. And we also have new dates now, 6th to the 31st of July. The women's Super League is also under considerable pressure and here's why. No games have been played in England's top division for women since 23rd of February. This is because there was that international break where, you know, major tournaments like the She Believes Cup and all was happening. Uh, teams are hoping to finish the season by the end of August as long as it's safe to do so. Even in France, the players' union was sort of discussing this, but then they have prioritised health now over football or anything else, primarily because that part of the world is just very badly hit, especially in that first wave. Now, as far as the WSL is concerned, a sort of a framework has been discussed where they hope that the season can resume by the first week of June. And there is a support plan that uh, goes something like this. So what they're looking to do is they want to resume training by the final week of May. All these teams will be based in one hub at St. George's Park at Burton-upon-Trent. Matches will resume behind closed doors with teams playing two matches per week for the following six weeks. Okay, I took that momentary pause because I can hear thunder behind me. I'm not sure if you guys are catching this on the mic, but it's raining. Uh, that's rare in summers in Chennai. A little bit of joy during these hard times. Okay, anyway, coming back. For the England women's national side, there are additional problems that come with these postponements. Their manager, Phil Neville's contract is set to expire. And uh, with the Euros and the Olympics being pushed, it's highly unlikely that Neville's going to stay on till then. So they now have to find a new coach who can probably up their performances as well, as in when play returns. The interesting part of this is that Jill Ellis, USA's World Cup winning coach, is being considered to replace Neville here. So if that happens, it's going to be so cool to watch a USA versus England match wherever that happens. I'm just waiting for the drama. I cannot wait. Meanwhile, 
Now that's happy news. Meanwhile, in Belarus, the men's football league continues to take place with spectators in stands, but the women's season has been suspended owing to the fear of infection. Now, I don't mean to put forward a silly argument here, but why the double standard? And what I mean by this is not that oh, the men are playing, so why can't the women play? Why is anybody playing? Belarus's approach to this virus has left its neighbors worried, especially because fans are traveling from nations that have a lockdown. to Belarus to watch these games close to 60 to 70% of the native fans have chosen not to go to the games because of health risks but the league is still on news is a lot more grim in colombia where one of its clubs independiente santa fe has suspended all player contracts for its women's soccer team while the men's team is only going to be facing pay cuts In fact, sadly enough, this COVID-19 crisis has actually opened up many of the fans to the reality that barely two to three clubs have offered female players in the league 12-month contracts. Colombian women footballers on an average, according to media reports in Colombia, earn about $256 a month. And in the best case, that goes up to around $700 to $750. But if you look at what the highest paid player at this very club Independiente Santa Fe receives that's 40000 euros per month can you just compare that number and see where the disparity lies when you talk about the pay gap and this disparity one of the first names that come to your mind is of course Ada Hegeberg Norway and Leon star player and one of the biggest advocates of equal pay in the sport and she said something that's very damning of the times the sport finds itself in she said and i quote we will be sitting in the second row in all of this but we cannot fade into the background most women's teams in europe operate at a financial loss relying instead on the profits of the men's side until progress allows them to support themselves but football's economic crisis as a result of coronavirus means nothing is guaranteed women's football is still in its beginning phase and we have to push for the same rights whatever gets decided and we have to push for the same changes we were pushing for before we also need men's football to be staple so we have our position and get that financial help before we can support ourselves if you see how the biggest men's clubs are struggling you can only imagine how this is going to affect women's teams end quote now this honestly affects any possible autonomy women's football can hope to have and what they were striving towards and the harshest reality of this pandemic for the sport is that women will still first seek to survive and then go back to climbing the autonomy and independence ladders from that very first step there is comforting news coming in from fifa though um the governing body has said that it will not cut the investment announced for 2019 to 2022 which is an investment valued at 1 billion dollars Now this funding is expected to be pumped into areas like competitions, capacity building, development programs, governance and leadership, professionalization and technical programs. A FIFA spokesperson in fact also said that the women's game will be part of any package that is given out to help football during this coronavirus. Now we can't talk equal pay and not mention the US women's national team. The world champion has been persistent in its fight against US soccer to claim parity and wages but the hearings have been hampered now because of the outbreak in the US and lockdowns in place to tackle it now the trial date for a gender discrimination case filed by the women's national team uh, has been pushed from May 5th to 16th June so rapino and co will have to wait oh talking about rapino here's something useful that can help you get through the lockdown if you're looking for something inspirational to watch Uh, Rapino's hosting this mini documentary series called Prodigy on Quibi. These are these short 10 10 to 12 minute videos I think episodes rather uh, which focus on up and coming stars in the US. These could be boxers, basketball players, uh there's a skier, a skateboarder. There's a lot of really interesting stories that are out there for us to watch. Uh these are about the struggles of their families, what they go through to you know just establish their name to get to break into the scene. and uh, it makes for a really fun watch it's very very well produced so make sure you go and check it out they were very excited to have megan on board and as was she so if you have the time go and check it out i'll make a link available in the description coming back now an industry facing similar issues of uncertainty is golf so golfers earn depending on the tournaments they play in and the ones they win so sponsorships are also particularly dependent on players being out there on the course 
Michael Vaughan, commissioner of the LPGA, has pleaded to sponsors to keep their money invested in the players. So now this is not a great place to be in for an industry, but those are the kind of times we find ourselves in. Moving on to racket sports. The Badminton World Federation has suspended all tournaments till July. The biggest loss here is definitely the Indonesia Open. But the good part is that rankings have been frozen and they are backdated with lists going back to March 17th. Information on this and the Olympic qualifying schedules is of course due soon. Uh, the International Table Tennis Federation has also gone the same way. But they have uh, suspended games till June 30th. Rankings have also been frozen in March 2020. For tennis, Wimbledon's been cancelled, French Open stands postponed. And tennis is actually expected to be one of the last sports to resume due to the complexity of this virus. And uh, as it stands right now, action is currently on pause till June 7th. Rankings have also been frozen. But I think the most interesting development from this entire thing is that we've seen tennis players struggle with using technology. That Instagram live with Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal is precious for how neither of them know how to work the Instagram Live. But talking about Federer, he also put forth a very interesting proposal. It's not a novel proposal, but it's interesting coming from him, saying he wants to merge the ATP and the WTA into one unified body. Uh, of course, McEnroe, Agassi, Billie Jean King, the brain behind the WTA, all of them have espoused this idea before. But a name like Roger Federer pushing for a unified administration setup for tennis comes as a big development. In his tweet, he said, and I quote, Just wondering, am I the only one thinking that now is the time for men's and women's tennis to be united and come together as one? He went on to clarify his statement saying he's picturing a merger between the administrative bodies and not calling for a merger of tournaments per se. He says that it should have probably happened a long time ago, but maybe now is really the time. These are tough times for every sport and we can come out of this with two weakened bodies or one stronger body. Sanya Mirza, Billie Jean King herself, Simona Halep are all among the many who backed Federer for this idea. Nick Krigios, meanwhile, seems a little less enthusiastic about it, questioning if the entire ATP was consulted before Federer went on to say this out in front of everybody. Um, of course, this is not going to be the easiest of things to bring into place, should everyone agree. The political and hierarchical barriers are as real as any other administrative setup. And the times we find ourselves don't help at all. Now, the two bodies already work together on the Grand Slams and tournaments like Indian Wells, Miami and Madrid. But besides that, the ATP and WTA tours follow very different schedules, have very different sponsors, broadcast partners and logistics. So, its fragmented administration comes with its problems. But a merger is a huge challenge. Now... You guys tell me, do you think this is something tennis should adopt? Do you think this is a good idea? Do you back Roger Federer or do you think this is just wishful thinking? Whatever it is, drop a comment wherever you're listening to this on or on our social media and let us know. You can find us on at SportsStarWeb on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Finally, the last discipline we're going to be looking at today in this segment is basketball and of course the WNBA. Now, I'm not sure if I'm going to start this with the problems or the good news, but never mind. I'm going to start with the good news. Um, if you've been following women's basketball, especially their college basketball, then Sabrina Ionescu is not a name that is unfamiliar to you. She has had a great season and she was slated for superstardom right into her college career, so to speak. She plays for the Oregon Ducks and she is the NCAA all-time leader in career triple-doubles. She is the Pac-12 Conference all-time leader in assists and the only NCAA Division I basketball player to record 2,000 points, 1,000 assists and 1,000 rebounds in a career. So this is brilliant and it's not surprising at all that she was taken in by the New York Liberty as its number one overall pick. Now, what's more interesting here is the drafts for the WNBA this time was held virtually because obviously no one can congregate, nothing's happening, there's no sport. And this was the most watched since the 2004 draft when Phoenix Mercy took on Diana Taurasi. There was a 123% increase in viewership from 2019 with an average of 39,000 live viewers. A big up this time is that the draft was also telecast on the main ESPN channel rather than its allied or secondary channels in the US. So the WNBA and NBA saw increased traffic to their social media account. And what's really great about this is seeing how successful this has been, the NFL is deciding to do the same thing with its draft as well. So yay, good, right? But here's where the problems begin. With regard to the sport itself, 
we've had a couple of the players contracting coronavirus not just in the US but even the ones playing abroad um like for instance chicago sky center stephanie dolson and her family tested positive some of her family members i think her mother showed severe symptoms she in fact had pneumonia and she's recovered los angeles sparks guard sydney vice also tested positive but she's recovered since uh las vegas aces center Liz Cambage and Connecticut Sun forward Teresa Playsons also believe they were infected with the virus but they were playing in China. Teresa in fact um, when she came out of hospitalization she went on to score 51 points and 31 rebounds just after being released. That's honestly something else especially after everything we're hearing about this virus. But let's talk about the financial repercussions. The first and perhaps biggest consequence of this pandemic is that the WNBA's season start is now postponed. The additional problem here is that many of the women who play in the league play second seasons elsewhere in the world. Now this could be Istanbul, it could be China, South Korea, Israel, several places. And in most cases these women make substantial amounts there rather than in the WNBA. But now due to the coronavirus and the travel restrictions that are in place, they've all had to hastily sort of come back to America. Now in certain of these cases there have been contract breaks and the loss of money involved is not a pleasant topic to talk about at all. Now it's also interesting that the WNBA has a pay parity debate of its own going. We've had a couple of really good measures being taken over the last couple of years to ensure parity and ensure better benefits and have maternity benefits as well. Now in the NBA itself if you look at it but the parity nevertheless exists like for instance in the NBA each player on the championship team receives roughly $240,000 but then in the, in the WNBA players of the winning team get just about $11,000 according to a report carried by ESPN it's funny how the problems facing established systems in women's sport are so unfortunately rudimentary the lack of written contracts the short term duration of employment contracts the lack of health insurance and medical coverage and the absence of basic worker protections and workers rights it leaves so many things in such uncertainty and women's players find themselves at great risk of losing their livelihoods but then there are some positives i think cuz away from football and basketball and all that if you look at rugby um, the all blacks had to take pay cuts but the black ferns didn't have to they were actually saved from cost cutting measures but as we've seen in some of the examples we've discussed in this segment the virus has not been kind to women's sport world over So considering the momentum we entered 2020 in this is a very very sad way to sort of press pause and one can only hope that things get better going forward so anyway from all of this gloom and doom we at not just a man's world also want to figure out what can be done now that we have the problem we need to also figure out mitigation strategies and there are people world over trying to figure out what can be done to save women's sport irrespective of the discipline so we're trying to reach out to experts we're trying to reach out to players coaches people in support staff to figure out what's being done how this is affecting their livelihood and what systems and administrations can do to bail out the women's sport branch of the many disciplines that their countries play so in that series i think we've got a very very lovely guest on board today to discuss the pandemic and its effect on specifically football but women's sport in general Now to be very honest I hate absolutely hate introducing her this way because it just does no justice to the kind of work that comes with her several of you will know her as the wife of Roy Krishna who won the Indian Super League last season 2019 2020 with ATK now the guest joining me on this episode of not just a man's world is Nazia Ali Krishna and we're very very excited to have her on board we're going to be talking to her about of course the covid-19 pandemic she and Roy Krishna were in fact quarantined after someone in their flight tested positive so it's going to be fun to get to know what she's been up to during the lockdown um and also we're going to figure out the work that she's done with women's sport in Fiji with football in Fiji and the road ahead for women's sport especially in the times of the covid-19 pandemic so let's get straight to it nazia thank you for joining me on this podcast it is a pleasure to have you on for several of the people who are going to be listening to this episode they probably will know you as roy krishna's wife uh, roy krishna being the one of the members of the isl winning atk football club but we want to get to know you a little better beyond that 
because you are an entrepreneur you're a journalist you've put out media products out there and uh, you've also worked a lot with gender equality so i think we'd rather hear about you from yourself so can you tell us about the work you do and what you have been doing in fiji um across the years gone by okay i started off as a journalist um I work for television. I was a current affairs journalist, uh, and then I joined the United Nations. Um, it was UN Women, and that's where I did a lot of work in the area of women in parliament and women in leadership in general. So, trying to promote gender equality in the leadership level, which obviously then trickles down, you know, down to the everyday people. Um, and then I started a. a media company uh, because i have my backgrounds in journalism i always wanted to go back uh, into the area that i was very familiar with that i wanted to maybe expand a little more because fiji was not um really big in in terms of the magazine magazines so i i decided to buy an existing um brand mm-hmm. um Uh, which is called my life mm-hmm. and then since then we have um brought out other labels which are sub branches of the main magazine that mm-hmm. focuses on travel and fashion mm-hmm. um and then you know we ended up doing the the in-flight magazine for uh, our national carrier Fiji Airways mm-hmm. so those are some of the big projects that I worked on um while I was full on hands on in Fiji before Uh, Roy and I moved um, to India middle of last year, mm-hmm. uh, but I also have um, a cafe and uh, it's called my nice cafe. I kind mm-hmm. of worked on the brand and started trying to, you know, come out of little branches of things mm-hmm. that we could run using the brand because it became quite popular. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, so those are some of the things I do, but I'm also. Uh, involved in football in Fiji, so yes. mm-hmm. um, there are very few women in the board. So there's two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined sometime last year mm-hmm. in the Fiji football board. Um, so they're trying to help in the area of women's football in Fiji. Right. Can you take us through a little bit of the work that you do with football in Fiji? Because I realized when I was going back and checking out a lot of the magazine work that you do, and I was checking out the social media profiles, one thing that really stood out was the stories that were done um, based on sport in Fiji. And I see that Roy Krishna was also featured on one of those covers. If you if you look at Fiji, our biggest, I mean, our, our most popular sport is rugby, mm-hmm. and a lot of the people are following rugby, and it has a lot more publicity. Then, then football. Even though football is a is a bigger sport in the world, Correct. so my aim was to try and push for more sort of uh, coverage of football content mm-hmm. um, to try and generate interest in more people. Mm-hmm. And at, to to some extent, it was almost like there was a division between two sports because um, you know if you were. If you look at our history, we have about forty percent of our population that's Indo-Fijian, which means that mm-hmm. they're from, you know, our ancestors are from India. Right. So we, and it tends to be, uh, the, the the sport is more dominated by Indo-Fijians. Right. So then it becomes sort of like a. For the indigenous Fijians, who who are referred to as it, okay, mm-hmm. they tend to play foot uh, rugby more mm-hmm. because of their physical, you know, their physique. They're probably stronger. They're able to uh, tackle and do, you know, more physical um, sport Correct. compared to the Indo-Fijians who play football, which is less, you know, not so much contact and mm-hmm. less aggressive, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but then. now we see like a lot of interest from people to participate in football you know being exposed to like you know international matches like if they follow world cup mm-hmm. and if recently with you know the women's football world cup i think more people are interested in football not only in terms of men participating but also women mm-hmm. so my 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 job is really what i feel like i need to do is try and get more women involved not only as you know not, not only as players but mm-hmm. also in administration but you know bigger part is also as spectators if you go and watch a football match there will be more men Correct. than women mm-hmm. so you know why is it that 
not a lot of women are able to you know feel like they can go and watch um, football mm-hmm. when when you watch a rugby match they're more more or less you know the same number of you know men and women it's not you don't see the disparity so much Correct. um so this is, you know it, it'll take some time to kind of move away from that kind of thinking that it's sort of more male dominated space mm-hmm. that you know women can also watch and cheer and you know shout and support their team and mm-hmm. it's not frowned upon right. the way they can do the same in, in another sport but but in the meantime my role is primarily to 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 showcase football in a positive light mm-hmm. um, recently I mm-hmm. they sent me on a leadership training to the FIFA headquarters okay. uh, in November mm-hmm. where basically you know we went through training to help us you know, work in the area of leadership mm-hmm. to, to be able to shape sort of, you know, internal policies and guidelines on how more women can be involved across the board, mm-hmm. not just in in football, uh, but in administration and also, you know, in terms of being out in public and having a more, uh, sort of more space in the media to talk about the growth of football mm-hmm. um, and also being actively involved as officials yeah right so as part of the fifa training that's quite an interesting thing to get involved in especially after how successful the world cup was last year so what are the key aspects that they're discussing back in fifa what what are the areas that we have to work on as far as women's football is concerned especially from a leadership point of view I think the, the main key was, you know, like we have established that that women can play football mm-hmm. and, you know, men can also watch women play football because right. it seemed like, you know, girls cheering for girls and, you know, like, yes, we women support each other. Mm-hmm. But we it was a, a great way to showcase, like, really good quality football mm-hmm. that men actually tune in and, and they talked about how pubs around the world and how stadiums were full and in terms of the TV viewership Mm -hmm. there was so much interest in women playing and and that was a huge shift from how it was before Mm -hmm. and this is also because FIFA itself in terms of its own leadership has started um, you know requiring associations around the world you know like the national bodies to increase their mm-hmm. number of women in the boards and in um, whether it's the administration part of football and also the decision making which is primarily the the board or the council um, that governs the overall running of the body mm-hmm. you know if you have more women in there they, they're able to push through um, you know the the balance in decision making is is what's coming through, and you see there's a lot more resources then put into women's football. Correct. And and just women in football in general, because it's not only women playing football and everybody involved in that area, but also women, you know, involved in men's football. Correct. Like Correct. you have coaches, you have. Um, referees and you have CEOs uh, or presidents of different um, bodies that mm-hmm. are run by women mm-hmm. so it's it's also that area not just you know girls looking after all the girls sports correct. sort of stuff yeah correct fair enough Nazia one thing that I really wanted to ask you about was in um, the stories that we've seen your magazine cover the work that you've done with gender equality and sports what are the experiences you've heard about from these sports women, people in irrespective of which sport they're playing? What are the common experiences that women have sort of had that you've wanted to work on, assuming you get into a position of power where you can make a difference? I think, um, you know, there's, there's this huge discussion about, you know, the gender pay gap. Yes. Um, and, and everybody comes up with this notion that, oh, there's no money in women's football. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a two-way thing. If you're not going to invest, mm-hmm. you know, like investing in any business, if you don't put in the money and grow the marketing and make it popular, you will not have people then buying into the product. So mm-hmm. um, it's because of the lack of faith in women in women's, uh, you know, women in sports. Mm-hmm. It, there seems to be sort of a lack of 
um, investment in all sense, financial, you know, and sort of time investment from the public mm-hmm. and from, you know, the, the major associations themselves. They're not, you know, it's, it is seen as a secondary part of their business, mm-hmm. you know, men's football because it rakes in all the money, that's where they are. So it's always this competition to prove yourself before you can get the funding. So the biggest Great. problem that you see is, you know, because they don't have funding, they don't get paid well. Mm-hmm. So most times, you know, these women, half their career, and they are probably playing for a very nominal fee mm-hmm. or for nothing. Correct. Because they're passionate about the sport. Until until they reach a, a space where they probably are the best or, you know, the top players in in the country, then mm-hmm. they become, you know, members of the national team. Mm-hmm. Then if they go to Olympics or if they go to, like, the Commonwealth Games or any of the bigger, you know, sporting uh, events, mm-hmm. then they get a bit more out of it, like, financially. Correct. And so people end up having two two jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, one is to you know their bread and butter, and Correct. the other is really their passion. Correct. So women end up not pursuing what they're passionate about because there's no money in it. Mm-hmm. You know, and the moment they have children, you know that kind of takes over. Right. But if they are professional athletes, and and I think it's it's a problem for a lot more a problem for sort of third world countries like us yeah. where um, you know uh, the the drive is more on the you know industrial sector you Correct. know with the maybe tourism or finance and you know those are the industry that mm-hmm. probably you have a quicker return mm-hmm. than sports sports seems to be something that you you invest in as you know like as an extra not something as, as a core business mm-hmm. you know so most people even you know, bigger companies, corporate companies that are sponsoring clubs. Mm-hmm. You know, they they really not no not putting a lot of money in terms of sponsorship to women's sports. So then the women end up suffering the most because there's really no room for growth because there's no money and there's no nobody who's helping them out. So that that seems to be sort of like the the theme that runs through the lack of investment um, in finance and. And even you know technical expertise, like somebody could be really good, but because they can't have a good mm-hmm. coach to bring out the best in them, so that maybe they can go overseas, you know, and 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 have an exposure in a bigger country. But because they haven't, they have the raw talent, but they're not good enough to then you know be marketed uh, internationally and compete with anybody who's had a better exposure right. from the ground you know from the grassroots level going up to where they are yeah it's it ends up being that you know if you look at Fijians who had the opportunity to go abroad mm-hmm. they end up doing really well compared mm-hmm. to Fijians who've stayed here and actually just you know gone through the system yeah. uh, you know and they have to be really really exceptional for somebody to pick pick them out right. of the many and then they go overseas and then they get better so it's usually you know you need to be really good before you get scouted mm-hmm. and then you are trained overseas and then you can grow in that sport mm-hmm. like we we have we had the the best weightlifter uh-huh. and she got picked up by by australia and she now wins gold medals <laughs> left right and center she's like one of the best yes and she's become a, an australian citizen mm-hmm. because australia wanted them wanted this this young girl mm-hmm. to be um to be theirs you know and they're benefiting <laughs> even though the basics was done here you know i mean so those are some of the things that ends up happening mm-hmm. and and it's a loss you know for small countries who who are still you know trying to establish themselves correct so you've come to india for a while you've spent some time here with, with the isl and you've just seen the sport in close quarters especially with the men's game so what did you make of um, how the tournament went? Did you have some time to look at how the women's football system works in India? What What were your thoughts about that? Um, I, to be honest, I didn't really have enough time to look at women's football, but I did follow. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, uh, you know, I saw the latest announcement in, uh, probably a few few months ago. Uh-huh. When, you know, um, 
at a local who was drafted internationally and that was really good. I, I watched some women's football mm-hmm. on television, I mm-hmm. think when the under-17 was on. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you see the raw talent there, you know, and you see how they're giving, you know, bigger countries, um, you know, out of Europe uh, a good competition. So right. you see there is a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, my only concern would be, like... If how far do they these girls go? You know, I have friends who actually play football, um, who had played for a national team in India, mm-hmm. and and you know they, you know I've played with them, you know a couple of times, and and okay. I feel like you know they're really good players, and mm-hmm. and I, I I've gone to see a few matches, you know, AC girls playing five a side, and uh-huh. you see the raw talent is there, yeah. the interest is there, right. it's just that taking it from that level to you know a higher level is what's needed mm-hmm. because there is a huge pool of talent for sure right. and there is a huge room for improvement definitely mm-hmm. so nazia one is one thing that's probably hurting us india was supposed to host the fifa under 17 women's world cup this year and uh, it was scheduled for november yeah. but then the coronavirus pandemic sort of like sort of postponed that as well so in a sense, I mean, we know that there are a lot of sporting events, a lot of industries are being affected by this outbreak. But is that particularly worrying for women in sport because of the factors that you spoke about? For a lot of us, for a lot of women out there, it's a part-time thing. Like they go back, they play a little bit of sport and then they go back to their lives. Maybe that tiny shelf life does affect how much they can keep going. It can affect their form, their fitness. Uh, should women and female sports persons be worried at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, you know, to, to to a large extent, you know, like you just even the, the lockdown means that you have to be very creative in the way you keep fit. Mm-hmm. Um, even you may not be able to play as a team, but, uh, you know, if you have a, a, a good coach, they could virtually, you could train virtually mm-hmm. and give you a guideline on how to stay fit and keep the fitness level and you know, eat well uh, while you wait but I, I think a huge part also is psychological right. you know like you you're so unsure of the future mm-hmm. and and you feel like you know what am I training for and, and usually if you're looking looking forward to a tournament you know that you have you know five six months to go mm-hmm. and uh, this is how you need to prepare yourself and and suddenly you know the goalpost has shifted so right. and you don't yeah. know where it is yeah. whether it's six months away or one year away when exactly is it um, because that decision isn't made yet uh, but but i think you know like if i think a, a big part needs to be played by the coaches and the clubs mm-hmm. if they keep in touch with their players um whatever level they're in you know whether it's a small club or a bigger club or mm-hmm. whether they're just playing you know the regular five side if you know the mental health and the mm-hmm. physical health needs to be taken care of um, because long term that's going to decide you know how well they perform on the pitch right. because if you take a long break you're not physically you know uh, your best and then mm-hmm. suddenly you have to perform you know just losing the weight getting fit and mentally ready um, you know there's a different excitement when you um, if I look at, you know, let's say the Indian team, the girls, they were playing earlier on, you know, they're playing, uh, you know, these friendly matches, mm-hmm. trying to, you know, build up towards the end of the year. And then suddenly, you don't know whether you're playing. So they're younger girls. And, um, you know, a lot of their future is riding on, on you know, this big tournament that was coming. Mm-hmm. So it does psychologically affect people. So maybe... You know that area. I would say not so much. I mean, I'm I'm sure the event will be held at some point, and mm-hmm. still would be held held in India. I'm sure, mm-hmm. but just the uncertainty is what is going to drive, you know, uh, how people feel about it, and and also it results in how they perform. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. So now we've spoken about sport. I think one of the most important things that I wanted to ask you about was the fact that you were here. Uh, your husband's had an amazing ISL campaign. He, in fact, he was probably the difference between ATK and his opponent team several times during this campaign. So to just be here to support him, to see the kind of support that ATK had, what was that experience like for you and for Roy? Um, for both of us, it was it was new. Uh, we, we before we decided to come, there were a lot of offers from around the world and. Uh, 
we both have a soft spot for you know for India mm-hmm. not because um, uh, you know we are we have roots from there but mm-hmm. also because we felt like it had a, a big scope for growth and right. development um, we had followed the ISL over the years and we've seen how quickly it has grown in terms of um, the quality of play and also Correct. just um, just the, the momentum it has gained in uh, you know the the audience and and you know India being such a a big a country with a huge population having mm-hmm. to to be part of that is also a big uh, big thing for us you know we come from a country where it's our population is not even a million so um, <laughs> performing and playing in in front of a big crowd is, yeah. is a huge deal um, and and uh, for Roy he obviously he played in the Australian League and you know um, he was used to playing in a big crowd, but but being in a different country where everything was going to be a challenge was something that we wanted to take up. Right. Uh, we we had been in the Pacific for a long time in Australia, and New Zealand, um, so it was like sort of familiar, you know, uh, neighborhood, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to try something new. We had gotten married the year before, so we decided that maybe we could go on an adventure and, and <laughs> explore India and, and football there. Mm-hmm. And and to be honest, we have been pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. uh, in many ways. Um, obviously, before going, people always ask, you know, why you choose to go to India when the sort of like biggest, you know, football nations that had offered him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was something we, like, I think for Roy, it's it's about, Playing in an area that is challenging, rather right. than going somewhere where it is just everything is familiar. Um, so that was one of the things that we wanted to do. Um, we don't have children yet, so it was something that we could take up before we started a family. So it was really good. We had a really good time. Mm-hmm. Um, ATK is such an amazing club. Um, they, they're really very inclusive. I feel. I felt like, you know, I probably felt like I was one of the, you know, like maybe one of the staff or one of the team team members because I, you know, I attended a lot of um, a lot of the, the matches even outside of Calcutta, you right. know. So mm-hmm. I really enjoyed traveling with the team and 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 you know being able to cheer for for the club and and it's it's just such a nice environment and I feel like, you know, the. ISL is is um, sort of a league that is going to just get better mm-hmm. as years go by, and and the quality of players that they're able to bring in is is you know is really up there. Mm-hmm. And, and um, Roy enjoyed being in India for sure. <laughs> so we'll see you know what the future holds for him. <laughs> yes, hopefully. So I I mean on your way back you guys had a coronavirus scare yourself didn't you you were I think on the the aircraft you were on had another person who had probably tested positive what's your lockdown experience been like what have you guys been up to over the last say 13 to 14 days um, yeah, we've we've had regular visit from the Ministry of Health, which is good, uh, which keeps us sane, uh, knowing that you know temperatures right and we're not showing any symptoms. Right. Um, but um, we've taken this time to <laughs> I've taken this time to force Roy to learn to cook, <laughs> just in case uh, you know my my reasoning is just in case the next time you know we are supposed to isolate that mm-hmm. you know we're not together and he can cook his favorite meals. Um, yeah, so he's been a good sport learning to cook. Mm-hmm. Um, in exchange, he's teaching me, you know, like he's helping me improve my football skills. Ah. Um, <laughs> Okay, <laughs> and uh, and and yeah, we're playing a lot of board games. Uh, we're calling a lot of our friends and family over the phone, and just you know, doing a lot of video chat, so keeping each other informed. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think the key is to enjoy, you know, staying home because mm-hmm. the moment you start getting bored and you you know and you think too much about everything that's happening, I think people are losing jobs, so it's kind of stressful and making people. Um, anxious about their future so you know like there's a high chance of you know um, psychologically being upset which can lead to some level of mental illness you know Um, so I think generally we're just keeping positive and joking with our friends you know uh, some cities in Fiji uh, the two cities um, the capital and our neighboring city is on lockdown Mm -hmm. so we're not able to really move 
around a lot if okay. even when we finish our self quarantine yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so but but yeah it's it's been fun we've 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 gotten to learn more about each other yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you know for 24/7 we are not going out of the gate yeah <laughs> so i mean it's 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 been you know it's been fun <laughs> that's nice <sighs> So uh, as a as like a parting question as somebody who knows the business and the playing side of sport in equal measure do you have a message for sports women out there as they start picking up the pieces once this pandemic is done Yeah I I think all I'd say is just to stay positive mm-hmm. um you know because mental health is very important um you could be physically able to do things but if you're mentally not ready to get back to work and pick up the pieces it'll feel like um you know all this effort that you've made these many years getting to where you are would have gone to waste yeah. so between now and the this the opening of the door so to speak mm-hmm. you know prepare yourself keep yourself at the top of your game and keep doing that regardless of whether you're a sports person or whether you're working from home you know working on your plans for financial plans or you're working on hr policies for the future where you would have to consider such pandemics or such events happening where um, you know let's say by force of external forces things change how do we then deal with this in the future mm-hmm. you know how do because i think a lot of people didn't think something like this would happen that would Correct. really affect the entire world mm-hmm. yeah you know like economies are predicting recession so how do we as a community of sports people and also you know people in general like how do we ensure that if something like this in the future happens that we are ready that it doesn't attack us the way it does and we are very vulnerable so right. you know and and one one way is to just to stay positive and know that there is going to be um we will pick up again mm-hmm. at, at a certain point but 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 just not give up i think a lot of people right now when i talk to I, today i talked to somebody who just lost their job and they feel like oh well you know it's a bad blow to me i don't know what's going to happen in my future mm-hmm. and and you can see the 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 sadness and you know the underlying tone of you know like you're giving up Could in it, life yeah. and, and that's that's the saddest thing that we'll have to be doing when we go out when the doors open and you go out that's the, one of the biggest thing is recovering from that you know that mental situation and picking up and then improving on productivity right 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 fair enough nazia thank you so much for entertaining me for about 33 minutes now i'm so sorry this took so much time <laughs> but thank you no, so much right. nice to know from you about all the work you do and i hope we can all get back yes. to our normal lives and we can just put this behind us at some point yeah right yeah we will yes thank you all so right. much thank stay you so safe much. yes thank you nazia All right guys so that's all we have for you in this episode of not just a man's world i sincerely hope that you enjoyed this episode i know it was a little long we're going to try and make these episodes a little more frequent because now that sport is not exactly happening uh we've got a lot to discuss in terms of like i said earlier the contingency plans that we need in place to sort of rescue women's sport from a pandemic like this the economic scenario certainly looks very very grim but as of now i think priority is that everybody stays safe that could be players administrators and even all of us spectators and fans who are following each of these disciplines so for now i just hope all of you wherever it is that you're listening to this episode from i hope all of you are safe i hope you are all at home please be responsible please take responsible decisions stay at home and work as much as you can we're going to have some really interesting stuff coming up for you on this podcast we're going to be speaking to people both from indian sporting circles and from those in global sport so please stick around if you have not subscribed to this podcast yet why are you waiting go and press that subscribe button you can tune in for some exclusive sporting content from the world of women's sport and also to occasionally hear about my anxieties during this pandemic so for it all make sure you tune back in we're available on anchor spotify and apple podcasts now so just you just have to search not just a man's world podcast on any of these platforms and you will find us 
So anyway, that's all I have time for in this episode. Thank you so much for patiently sitting with me through this episode. Big thanks to Nazia as well for joining us. And yes, until our next episode, it's goodbye. Take care. Play it safe.